Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we are thankful, we are excited, we thank you um, just for a new day of life and opportunity and of being able to, to learn from you and from your spirit and from your word, Lord. And I pray that for each of us this morning uh, that we be attentive to your spirit and to your word, uh, that we be able to walk in grace and truth. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Um, the, uh, I think her name was Jackie Pullinger, a missionary in China and worked with the slums there and kind of famous, wrote a book. Um, and, uh, one of my coworkers got, was at a conference. It must've been Asia somewhere. Um, but so she came and she was a speaker and very kind of, very dynamic, very char- uh, charismatic lady and, and showed up and, and, um, just shared some thoughts and mission and that kind of thing. But it was kind of interesting because while she was there and while she was sharing, she shared about they had had an event where they were doing, I think it was a special holiday, right? Um, and so they were doing uh, basically like a soup kitchen um, for, they're in the slums um, in, um, in China, and, and I forget where. Um, but the cooks came to her, and they were frantic, and they're like, we're just about out. And there are a lot more people out there. And it was like, well, what do we do? Like, we don't really have any options. And so they prayed about it, and she sent them back to keep serving, and they served like a couple hundred more people out of the bottom, like three inches of soup. And then she said this when she was sharing. She said, you know, that'd be pretty remarkable if it happened once, but that has happened every year since. And, and I share that story because we, so we're, we're doing, a, um, we're going through the book of Luke um, and, you know, looking at the life of Jesus. And, and today is the story where he feeds 5,000. And sometimes we encounter these miracles of Jesus and they're so big and they're so remarkable and they're so amazing that there's almost kind of this undertone of like, well, you know, that must have, maybe that was just like a then thing or maybe just Jesus does that or you know, like, I really haven't seen it. And so I, sh- and I, I, I fully recognize that that story is kind of like, well, I heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who, you know, like, I mean, there's, there's a lot of connections and steps there. But I share that to simply say, like, the stories are out there. And, they, and some of these stories might be few and far between. But there are stories out there of miracles happening today that very much align with what Jesus did and some of the ministry and some of the miracles that, that we see. Today we're in Luke 9. Uh, let me read this to you. Or we, uh, If you've got a Bible, you're, you're welcome to, to read along. I think it's going to be up on the screen um, as well, too. Um, and uh, it's probably labeled in, in your Bible, Jesus Feeds the 5,000. Um, and so verses 10 to 17. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them, and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God, cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came to him and said to him, Send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages and countrysides to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. 
But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are going to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of of about 50 each. And they did so. Uh, And they had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. If you, so this story actually occurs in all four of the Gospels. Uh, it's one of the few, um, maybe actually one of the only stories that actually appears in all four of the Gospels. And so if, if you kind of look at the different accounts and kind of piece it together, right? Last week we had talked about how Jesus has sent out the twelve, basically on a short-term missions trip. And they come back and they're all excited and they're, they're talking about what is happening. But then Jesus tries to basically give them a little break, right? He recognizes that they're, tr- they're tired, so he tries to take them away to a desolate place where they can get some rest because things had just been go, 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 go. However, the people found out about it and basically got there ahead of him and, or, or followed him there. Um, and so, you know, so you have this, this huge crowd that, that follows them. And Jesus has compassion on the people, and, and he teaches them about the kingdom of God. He heals, you know, the, the sick or those that, that need healing. And it says the day gets late. And it's—part of me kind of goes out to him because they were tired going into this, and then they just had a massive full day of ministry of, of a lot of people. So I'm, I'm sure they were just getting excited, just exhausted. And the disciples tell Jesus, like, hey, it's late, they're hungry, like, send them into town so they can find a place to stay, so they can get something to eat, um, you know, and that kind of thing. The account says 5,000 men, men. But then it says later on, not including women and children. So, I mean, if these were family units, like, we could easily be pushing 20,000 people. Right? You got 5,000 men, wives, you know, a couple kids, two, three, four kids. They brought their whole families. Like, so this, this was a big crowd. He had them sit in groups of 50. Um, I find that interesting. Um, one, I think it's e- it would be easier to distribute food if they are in these smaller groups of 50. So there's kind of a, a, a logistical sense to it. But it's also a lot easier to count, right? Because you can count. 100 groups of 50, a lot more than you can count 20,000 people. Yeah, that, that's just, I don't know. Some usher is sitting there for a really long time. Oh, I lost count. Oh, oh they moved. Ugh. You know, like, so there's just kind of some good log- logistical sense in, in what's going on. Afterwards, they gather the leftovers. There's 12 baskets. Uh, that's going to become significant here uh, in, in just a, a minute. Jesus is still very much in training mode with the disciples, right? He had just sent them on the short-term trip um, and, you know, with, with power and authority to preach and teach and heal and, and set free and all that kind of thing. So, it, so when the disciples come to him, it's fascinating that Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. Like, obviously they can't. Like, he knows that, right? But this is a teachable moment. So, and I don't know if they were just tired or exhausted, a little bit panicky, but they come up and they're like, send these people away. And Jesus looks at them and said, you feed them. If Jesus' perspective was, 
hey, like this is a one-time deal. You don't really need to know this for later on. This really isn't applicable. Then Jesus would have just been, all right, I'll take care of this. Step aside. Let me do the work. But he doesn't do that. Right? He wants the disciples to learn something. And some, this is something that they're going to need later on. It's also interesting that the disciples respond by analyzing the situation in the physical realm. How much food do we have? How much money do we have? How far away is the nearest town? What, like, how fast can you get to Costco? Like, they, they just completely look at this from the end. No fault, because, I mean, let's be honest, most of us probably would have done the same, right? They're, they're looking at their resources, and then this part is interesting as well, too. And, and we, this actually came up in our class when we were talking about spiritual authority and, and spiritual warfare. Um, Jesus actually doesn't do an intercessory prayer, right? An intercessory prayer is, dear God, would you please fix this? He doesn't do that. He takes the fish and the bread. He blesses. Jesus blesses the fish and the bread. And then he breaks it and hands it out. And 20,000 people get a really good meal or a full meal. Using that authority and that power that Jesus has, he blesses the food and then a miracle happens. Here's the other thing that I find fascinating about this. So the, the disciples say, hey, send them away to, to the local villages to find lodging and food. So that suggests that a lot of these people are not locals, right? Maybe some of them were, but a lot of them weren't. They have either been out there for a long time or they've come unprepared because everyone's thirsty and hungry. They're in a desolate place, a wilderness place. Um, they've presumably brought their families, right? Like, just at, as a parent, like, like, what would possess you to take your family far out into a desolate place, poorly prepared with little to no provisions? And for them, it was Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus, Right? Because they didn't know the food miracle was going to happen. They got surprised by that just like everyone else. Right? Um, in Mark, it says that, that Jesus ref- says that these people are like a sheep without a shepherd, with it, which is a spiritual reference. I think these people were absolutely hungry and desperate for the word of God. And I, in, in some ways, I don't think that's something that we can really relate to because we live in a time and in a place where we have so much, so much that is accessible, right? Like people may turn it away, but if you want it, it's there, right? I mean, there is stuff on YouTube and there are podcasts and there are churches all over the place. And have you ever thought about how many English translations we have for the Bible? And I'll spoil, like, I'll pull out my app with like my 19 English translations, right? We had this couple come over from Quebec. They were shocked. They were like, we have one Bible, the French Bible, you know, and you got like the ESV and the NIV and the NIV 86 and the, you know, like we have all these other stuff. Like other places just have like the Bible, right? Like one translation and that's, that's all you get. And so we just live in such a, a, a Christian resource, abundant environment. Full recognition that a lot of people reject it, right? I get that. But if you want it, oodles of stuff all over the place, on your phone, on your computer, down the street. It's all over the place. And so I think there's, there's an element where, where they were literally living in a spiritual wasteland. 
And, and that's something that's hard for us to relate to. You know, when communism moved into China, they kicked out Christianity, but they actually kicked out all the religions. And so China for decades, like there was no, spiritual, no spirituality of any kind of religion. And so there was just, right, like just it kind of created just this, this hunger. There are a couple other parts to this story, too, that, that rarely get mentioned. Um, let me read a, a couple of these as well, too. The, and this is, so John, over in John, he records kind of the second half of what happened here. Um, and I'm going to read this, this section to you. I'm in John 6, verse 25. But as I read this, here's what I want you to listen to, or listen for. Listen how the people just really want a free lunch, and listen how Jesus keeps trying to drive home the point that actually he's the bread of life, and there's like a spiritual component to this, and we're dealing with bigger matters, but they just kind of keep going back to like, hey, can we do the food miracle again? Like, that was really fun. Okay, so uh, listen to this. John 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, right? So this is afterwards. They came back, and they found him on the other side of the sea. Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you that you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that ensures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then he said to him, what must uh, the work... Uh, hold on. Uh, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him... Who he has sent. So they said to him, What sign can you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives to you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And like the two are just completely missing each other. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall uh, never thirst. Uh, but, I, uh, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of the Father." That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And how did they respond? Verse, 20, verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread. The Jews wanted more bread, more free food. And, I mean, again, I can't really blame them. I probably would have done similar but Jesus knows that. He calls them out on this. And he says, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. And, and the conversation, like they, they just, they, they, they don't get it. And he's trying to explain to them, like he is the bread of life. And mankind needs to come to him for salvation. And the Jews just keep coming back 
to the free bread and what sign can you do and manna and all these other kinds of things. And out of all the miracles in the Old Testament that they could have referenced, right, for proof, you know, they picked the one where they ate food, you know, for like 40 years. And Jesus has this line, I'm the bread of life. Sometimes people will use the feeding of the 5,000 almost as kind of like a proof text in regards to different ways that the church or the government should be providing aid and helping people out, whether that be like housing or food or, or that kind of thing. And I agree that that should happen, and there's some great verses for that, but not this verse, right? Like if you want to give a good proof text for those concepts, they're in Scripture, but, but not this one, right? Because literally 24 hours later, they come to him for more, and Jesus says, look, I fed you once, but I'm not going to do it again because we have other issues that I'm trying to get through to you that you're not really grasping. Here's another part of this, right? So all four Gospels record that Jesus fed the 5,000. Fantastic. Matthew and Mark also record that Jesus read 4,000 others with seven loaves and a few small fish. All right, that's fine. Fantastic. You know, Jesus can do that. He's, I mean, that's fun. Okay, so Mark 8, verse 14. So this is after Jesus fed the, the 4,000, okay? Now, they had forgotten to bring bread. That's the disciples or the apostles. And I don't know, maybe there's some kind of comical humor in that and that they just fed 4,000. But anyways, they forgot to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat, um, which, again, given all they had seen, shouldn't worry them. Anyhow, um, verse 15, and he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Did you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And then that's it. The story ends. Right? Like next time you see Jesus, he's some healing son blind man. Right? Like normally when Jesus drops kind of like these peculiar rhetorical questions like he explains the meaning afterwards nope not on this one just leaves us hanging 12 and 7 do you not get it and then he's healing the blind man and i'm still like can we anyways one of the peculiar things for me about this text is that like we see patterns in, in numbers in scripture but based on this, like, it, it's like the numbers have more significance almost than, than, I want, than I would care to admit, right? Like somehow Jesus, Jesus is implying that somehow within these numbers there's truth or there's messages or there's meaning or there's symbolism or there's significance in certain numbers appearing in certain places. And there's certain patterns, right? Like we see a lot of seven. We see a lot of three. We see a lot of 40. Verse, or the number 12 occurs 187 times in Scripture. 187 times, right? 12 disciples, 12 apostles. Uh, in the temple, there's 12 11 uh, cakes. In Revelation, you have 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes. And the church wears a crown with 12 stars. 
seven. You have seven days of creation, and then there are seven feasts that are given to the Israelites, and there's seven churches in Revelation, and Daniel has several prophecies, that, a whole bunch that involve seven. You know, Peter asks, hey, how, how often should we give? And Jesus says, 70 times seven, or 77 times seven. Revelation, you have seven seals, and seven bowls, and seven trumpets, and all these different things. So what's the deal with the twelve and the seven? Well, I've only really found one explanation. And so it's not even that this is the best explanation. It's just that this is the only explanation that anyone's ever attempted on what's the deal with the 12 and the 7. And it's all about location. So if you pull up the map, the 5,000 happened in Jewish country. Okay, that's the red circle. When Jesus fed the 5,000, that's Jewish territory. Jesus had already done a lot of miracles in the other area. And for the Jews, right, 12 is a big number, and there's 12 tribes and all those other kinds of things. So there's kind of this sense of sort of like fullness. So that's where there's 12 baskets. When Jesus feeds the 4,000, it's a little bit vague, either like the Decapolis or or the the uh, region of the Gerasenes. That is Gentile country, non-Jewish people, basically the rest of the world. Jesus feeds 4,000 people in that area. And actually, do you remember a couple weeks ago, we had the story of the man who was freed from the legion of demons and then the pigs and then all the pigs died. And, you know, and then the, the community's like, this is really weird. Jesus, please go. And then it said that he went out and he told everyone in the Decapolis what people had done for him. And then later on in the scripture, Jesus shows up and a crowd of 4,000 people, men, sorry, 4,000 men, So again, we're probably pushing 20,000 people, plus women and children, come to listen to him speak, and he feeds them. And seven baskets are recovered. And seven is the number of completion and perfection, and there's the sense that with seven, things are finished. And so Jesus says the bread of life is available to the rest of the world, and it will be perfect and complete. And so all the explanations I found basically said this, right? What, like, what is Jesus saying? He, he, the, the 12 baskets for the Jews, like, there's, there's history and heritage and fullness. But when the rest of the world gets the message that Jesus is the bread of life, there is completion in that. There's fullness in that. Basically, Jesus was trying to say, I'm going to save the world, right? I mean, you have to accept it, but he's basically saying, I'm going to save the world. And it's going to be perfect. And it's going to be complete when everyone else also gets to know and understand that I am the bread of life. And here's a miracle to help them understand that. Miracles like this are fun that we read in scripture. But there is always kind of this sense of like, okay, so like what do I do with this Monday? Right? Because we're, you know, I mean like no one's going to go out you know, for lunch with, you know, like, all right, and yeah, like, what do you do with a story like this? I, I, I think the first thing to understand is how Jesus talks about the, the 12 and the 7, and, and just that message that Jesus came to save the world, and I think that's something that, that we talk about a lot, um, but I mean, it's, and, but with the numbers and with what Jesus is trying to communicate here, that Jesus is going to save the world. And there's a sense of wholeness before, but there's a sense of completion when the rest of the world hears. Second, Jesus was trying to teach his disciples something, right? Because he said, you feed them. He wanted them to do it. 
And I believe that, that miracles are still viable, and, and even stories like this may still be a viable option. But also how the disciples looked at their physical resources, and it didn't work for them. And then so then Jesus stepped in and, and did the thing. Don't look at your physical resources and ask, what can I do? Because I think that's what the disciples did. And if we can call it a mistake, the mistake they made. Rather ask this, look at the people. Look at the people and ask, what does Jesus want to do amongst these people? Start with the right question. Not what are my resources, but what does Jesus want to accomplish with these people? Because in some ways, your resources are kind of insignificant. Like much, little, lot, whatever. I feel like Jesus kind of just drove that home. That whether or not you have a big lunch or a small lunch is kind of insignificant to what he's wanting to accomplish with the people. The expansion of God's kingdom is not based on your resources. It is based on what God wants to have happen. And I think that's where we experience the greatest miracles. When we start with that question, what is it that God wants to accomplish with these people? And then we move in that direction. And for our context, right? I I, I think that's the most important lesson for us here today to not look at our physical resources and ask, what can I do? But rather to see the people as God sees the people and ask, what does Jesus want to do? Because if Jesus wants that to happen, he will help us make it happen. And maybe, just maybe, it involves feeding the multitudes. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your truth. And Lord, we want to begin by just saying that we are available. um, That we want to be used by you for your purposes in your kingdom. Lord, I also pray for us this morning that you would give us new eyes. Eyes that are not distracted by what we have or what we don't have, Lord, but rather eyes that see people the way that you see people. And whether that's other brothers and sisters in Christ or whether that's family members or whether that's unsaved or whether that's, that's people who cause us problems, Lord, whether in all these things, Lord, that, that we would have this God lens where we see the people as you see the people, And that our ears and our hearts would be attentive to your spirit and asking, okay, Lord, what do you want to have happen in their life? We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at Luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.